We, we are starting a series today. We're going to go through the book of Philippians over the next few weeks. Um, Philippians is a book in the New Testament. It's one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians. So we're going to, sometimes we do a more topical series. Sometimes we do different books of the Bible. We're really actually just going to kind of go through, not exactly verse by verse, but go through the book of Philippians. We're going to look through uh, Philippians chapter 1 today, starting in verse 9. And this came about last week when Christy was wrapping up our series on good works. She really gave a lot of background on the book of Philippians, kind of the context about the book of Philippians. And, um, and we really, we were talking, just said, this would be great to just kind of go through this book. It's a great letter, a great book of scripture. Um, this was written by the Apostle Paul. This was a letter written to a group of Christians or a brand new church, a brand new group of believers in Philippi, hence the name Philippians. Uh, Philippi was a prominent city in Macedonia, in the would now be Greece and kind of the Europe area. And so really, if you know the story, Paul was known as Saul. He was miraculously saved. He grew up and was a, a persecutor of the Christians, got miraculously saved, and God called him to go outside of the region of Judea, outside the Jewish people, and plant churches to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a brand new idea. People would have thought that this message of Jesus was just for the Jewish people. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And the initial or the original apostles, they were challenged. No, this is for the whole world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so Paul specifically was called, commissioned by God to go throughout Europe and Asia, that region at the time, to non-Jewish people, tell them about Jesus Christ, tell them about the new way, the new relationship with God, this new covenant that we are in. And Paul was doing that. And so one of the groups was this group of Christians in Philippi. Because Paul was doing this, he was being opposed by a lot of people, opposed by the rulers in the Roman Empire, and was eventually thrown in prison. He was in prison a few different times. So this letter was written while he's in prison. He's been traveling around, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and as a result, he's thrown in jail. Eventually, we know the end of Paul's story is that he will, become, he will be executed. Paul doesn't know that for sure yet, but he's starting to get a pretty good idea that this, this prison cell might be where he spends the rest of his days. Um, and so imagine all that, when you kind of understand a little bit of the context, now when you read through a book of Philippians, you can kind of gain way more insight as to why Paul is saying the things that he's doing. Imagine all that Paul was feeling as he's writing this. He's given his life to the spread of the gospel. I mean, in a figurative way up until this point, he is... That's what his life is about, traveling around, getting support from other people so he can travel to a new region and plant a new church. And Now, eventually, he's going to give his life in a very literal sense where he's going to be executed for his faith. He's writing this letter knowing that they're brand new believers, brand new Christians. And so you, I imagine there would kind of be this conflict where you feel like, yes, the gates of hell will not prevail. The church of Jesus Christ, you have a boldness. But there's probably also a like, oh, but this brand new message, I hope these new believers can hold on to it and grow in their faith. And he knows that there are persecution, there's persecution that's coming to these believers and there's false teachers who are teaching something other than Jesus Christ. All of this is happening when he's writing this letter. He realizes he, he probably won't see them ever again. And I think on a bigger picture, he's probably wondering, is this Jesus movement even going to make it? I'm giving my life for this. Is it going to last? Like, in faith, he's like, yeah, I believe it is. But there's got to be some moments where he's like, oh, I hope it makes it. I hope it makes it. So this is the context. And you can see that in the opening verses that Jesus, uh, that, uh, Jesus not Jesus, Christy, 
similar thing in my world, but that Christy <laughs> talked about. <laughs> I just do what I told. I do, yes, Lord, I will <laughs> obey you. Um, you, when Christy was talking last week, that verse that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. This is the, the, the cry of his heart, encouraging these new believers. God's going to be faithful. God's going to finish the work. So where I want to pick up today is in verse 9, Philippians 1 verse 9. It says this, and this is my prayer. Again, Paul writing to these brand new believers. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Those are great verses. What a great prayer that he is praying over that. Imagine being a brand new believer, and here's this Paul. The, you're basically a spiritual leader at the time in prison writing this, and I'm praying for you that your love would abound more and more, that you'd grow in knowledge and depth of insight, that you'd be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, ultimately to the glory and praise of God. What a great prayer. I encourage us all, these verses here, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. We could memorize those. We could pray those over our life. We should be praying these over our kids, over our kids, however old your kids are, or over your family members. I meet a lot of Christians who are like, well, yeah, I, I want to pray. I just don't know what to say. Read these verses and pray them out loud over your kids. Can you imagine that? Like when we think about the next generation, and this is what I pray over my kids too, that your love would abound more and more, that you'd grow in knowledge and insight. How about this for our kids? That you'd be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And that they would learn that their lives are set apart for the glory of God. What a prayer to pray over our kids. Amen. Parents, let's lead the way in that. Continuing on verse 12. Here's where Paul's talking a little bit more about in him being in prison. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. Now, what's happened to him? He's been thrown in prison. Now, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I'm going to stop there for a minute. This is an amazing perspective that Paul has for his imprisonment, right? Imagine if it were you and I. Now, as I read through this, I always kind of put myself in that, like, how would I respond if I was... Just going around preaching the gospel, being a pastor, trying to raise up leaders, and all of a sudden I got thrown in prison. Would my response be what Paul's response is? Like, this has actually happened for good. Like, let's look at all the good things that are happening. My response would be, like, get me out of here. Somebody get the police over here or get the governor on the phone because I don't deserve to be here. I should, you know, my rights have been taken away and I'm going to stage a, a protest and all, like, my freedoms have been violated. All, I would be sounding the alarm. Somewhere down the road, it would be, God, you know, let's use this for, my, for your glory, Lord. But there would be a whole lot of mixed in there of what's going on. Why is this happening to me, right? Anyone maybe agree with me on that a little bit? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. But I love that he says, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now, I imagine Paul in a prison cell, there's prison guards. And so if you got Paul... 
duty that day, the guard, you would just stand there and be like, oh, great, I got to listen to this guy preach all day. I imagine the guards are just like, oh, anyone but Paul. But I love that Paul sees it as, I have an influence over maybe this person here. I'm going to preach, and even if it's this one person. But this guard, whatever it is, whoever he was, you know, apparently what Paul is saying is that the gospel of Christ has been known to the palace guard. So not just this guard, but every guard that shows up. And the guards would not just be responsible for the prison, but they would also be security for the, the royal family or the leaders or the, whoever the leaders of the city were, the prominent families. So these same guards would then go and they get saved and then they tell other people. And now that the, the imperial guard over the rulers or the leaders of this city are now talking amongst themselves about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How Paul is seeing like what's happening here. Sure, it's not ideal in a lot of ways, but the gospel is going forward because Paul sees it as I'm here in prison. I can sound the alarm and shout about injustice all I want. But why not also use this for the cause of Christ? I'm here. I might as well tell somebody about Jesus. That's an amazing perspective to have. That's an amazing perspective to where now the gospel is spreading even as he is in prison. So the lesson from there is pretty obvious. Wherever you are, whatever season or trial you are facing, you can say, how can I shine for God right now? How can my life serve to advance the kingdom of God? And then what you'll see is that you'll be able to look at whatever season you're in, and you'll be able to look at it and say, but look at all the good that's coming out of it. Look at the good that's happening because the gospel is going forth. People's lives are being changed. And you might be thinking, man, I'm in a, I'm in a dead-end job. I punch in, I punch out, I go through the motions. I'm just like, oh, there is, God's not using that at all. Change your thinking and think, I'm here for a reason. I might have three co-workers in my cubicle, and they might not like it at first, but I'm going to at least shine for God while I'm here. My audience might be limited, but I'm at least going to say, who is around? I'm going to influence them for Jesus. I've heard this from a few uh, people that come through the season where they're stay-at-home parents. A stay-at-home mom that would say, you know what, I've... I would love to live for God, but all I do is chase these kids around all day and clean up messes, and my audience is rather limited, right? Anybody can relate to that? Well, what more of an opportunity to say, well, I'm going to see God do something good, and my audience might be limited to these three little youngsters that have no appreciation for anything, but I'm going to shine for God, and they are going to know about Jesus because that's my circle of influence right now. Amen? It could be a storm that you're going through. Many people have a faith in God that's kind of like God. Get me into this position of influence or prosperity or leadership or fame or whatever it is. Get me here, and then I'm going to shine for you, and it's going to be great. Me and you, God, we're going to do this together. And God is saying, take where you're at now. Be faithful where you're at now. Even in a storm, even in a storm where we would say, God, get me out of this so I can shine for you, God's going to say, where you're at, you can shine brightly. I've seen people do this in any season when they were facing death and loss in their family. And they simply said, I'm still going to shine for you, God. And their faith in God through a season of death and loss shines brighter than anything else. People look at that and say, man, their faith. Notice how Paul said what's good in this prison cell is not only are the prison guards getting saved, but the other Christians are seeing this happening. And they're getting more bold. They're growing in their faith. This is what you can do in any season. You can be an example for the faithfulness of God. And other people are going to look at that and say, man, I'm encouraged to grow in my faith. They're going to look at that and say, wow, there's something real about that God that they worship. 
I've seen people do this through a season of death and loss of a loved one. I've seen people do this through financial disaster when their world fell apart, their career fell apart, and they simply said, God, I still am going to shine for you. Family relationships, kids wandering away from the Lord. I've had friends who have walked through seasons like that with wandering loved ones and kids, and they said, I'm still going to influence them. I'm still going to shine. I'm still going to have faith in a good God. I've seen people going into cancer treatment where they said, this cancer ward that I'm going to be spending my time in, hours and hours over the next several months, is going to be my little church, and I'm going to just share with the people that are sitting next to me, people who are looking for hope in the midst of a trial, and I'm going to shine so that they'll look back and like Paul, they'll say, what happened to me was for the good of the cause of Christ. What happened to me served so much good. We often don't see the good in the moment. We often don't see the good when it's you know, chasing little kids around or being in a cancer ward or going through death and loss. But later we can say, but look at what God did. Because I just simply wanted to live for him. I had the cause of Christ as the first and foremost thing in my life. The gospel shines in the prison, prison cell. The gospel shines in the cancer ward, in the funeral home, in whatever it is. And so our first thought, in the midst of a dark season. Now, this isn't to say that some of these things we go through aren't hard. We walk through really difficult stuff. And so it's, you know, we're not always going to be like, yay, you know, all these bad things are happening. There is difficult things, but anchoring us through that in the midst of all the emotion and the ups and downs, I imagine there was probably some times when Paul had some dark moments. He just didn't write those down in his letter, right? But we are going to have those, but anchoring us through that season is God is good. He is using this. I can shine for him even in this season that I am in. How can my life serve to advance the kingdom of God? Paul is resolute. And may we learn how to do this. I'm fully living for God. And whatever happens to me is not the most important thing. Because the most important thing is the cause of Christ in my life. Amen? Amen. That people's lives would be changed. That however I go through life, good circumstances, bad circumstances, that I would do so in a way that would cause God to be lifted up and people to be drawn closer to him. And if I end up in prison, that's okay. Because even here I can be used to glorify him. If I end up going through a season of sickness or illness or loss, it's okay because that season can also be used for the cause of Christ. How I handle this season will speak volumes about God to the non-believer. And how I handle this will impact other believers so that they will be bold in their faith. They will grow. They will have a greater courage and boldness to share their faith. I've said this before, but we, we've seen over the past few years around the world and in this country, certainly, just the conflict arguing, division, hate, anger, just all of that kind of on the rise, right? It just seems to be kind of the undercurrent of that everywhere. And there's a lot of difficult things we walk through, and we face some difficulties through this season. But a season like the last two years, I just say that's a, that's a time when the church should shine because we kind of can say, but we're, we're not above it in an arrogant way. We're above it because our focus is on something way bigger than that. Sure, we're involved in politics, and sure, we have opinions on this and this and this. But we're not going to be swayed by that. We're not going to be down. We're not going to be worried and fearful. The, the fear of the world is rampant. Whatever side of whatever argument you're on, it's just division, fear, anger, and all this stuff. And I don't want the Christians to lose the light because we just dive into those same arguments, the same level of anger, whatever side you're on. This is a chance for us to say we got something bigger that we are involved in. We're not going to be ruled by all the things that the world are. 
Our lives in this season can shine for the cause of Christ wherever you're at. And the darker it gets, great. The more we can shine and the more people are going to be turned to God. And we'll look back on this season and we'll say, boy, that was crazy. But look at all the good that came out of it. Look at how God used my life and my faith in him to bring about life change for other people. Amen? Verse 15, we're going to move on. Uh, verse 15. It is true. Now, this is what, what's happening is that there are some people that, that Paul's in prison. Now that he planted this church in Philippi, there are a lot of other teachers and apostles and prophets coming and teaching the people. And some are right on and some are a little crazy and some are doing it out of all sorts of different motives. And this is what Paul's talking about here. In 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Man, that's amazing. Because of this, I rejoice. If I was in prison for the sake of the gospel, I would tend to rejoice when I got freed from prison. Right? That would be, I'm going to rejoice when I'm out of here. But Paul is saying, I rejoice because the gospel is being preached. Even when it's people who are doing so with all sorts of weird motives or just trying to get attention for themselves, the perspective of Paul here, as a church leader for me, is humbling because it's like, that doesn't matter as long as the gospel is being preached. So what that does for me is that shapes my view where I don't, I'm not going to be critical of other churches. I don't see other churches. Now, there are some offshoots and religions that are preaching things other than the Bible or preaching things other than Jesus. And, well, yeah, I, I want it to be gospel-centered. But there are a lot of churches with a lot of different styles, a lot of different personalities that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I rejoice. I'm not going to see that as like, well, we got a battle against that church over there or this church over here. And that personality of that leader and that person. Yes, I, I ain't everybody's cup of tea, and that's fine. Not everybody's everybody's cup of tea, but the gospel is being preached. Yeah. We rejoice. Right. We support yeah. missions and ministries and churches that, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that churches and denominations divide themselves. Again, I'm not talking about the truth of the word of God and Jesus Christ and, like, the foundational things. There's so many things. If you've been around the church world, we start arguing and dividing over this. And, well, what about this? And the... What about this many years before this happens and the Holy Spirit means this and, and all of these things. And I think for a lot of these, what I'll call secondary arguments, we're going to get to heaven someday. And all the people that we were debating with about all these secondary things, we're going to be sitting there and we're going to be like, we probably should have spent less time arguing about all these little things that apparently didn't matter because we're all here, right? And so I rejoice in the gospel being preached. This is, this is what unifies us with the work of God in other ministries. We rejoice that the gospel is being preached. I'm not going to oppose the work of God and the gospel in other ministries. So as we've read these verses so far in Philippians, you can kind of see a theme building here that Paul is kind of setting up this main theme. And really simply put, it's this. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Whoever's preaching, whoever's listening, whoever's responding, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm traveling around, whether you're, whether you're getting persecuted or there's a season of victory, whatever it is, it's about Jesus. So for our life today, whatever circle of influence you have, whatever season you're in, good or bad, whatever job or career or neighborhood or school, students, you are in a school for a reason. It's about Jesus. Students, look at me for a second. I know you got your heads down because you're in church and 
mom made you come here today, but you're in your schools because of Jesus, that you can shine brightly for Jesus. Grown-ups, don't see whatever circumstance you're in is like, well, I would do something for God if I could just get this, if I would just get the, just do it now, just shine, whatever, whoever the audience is, if it's a, if it's a prison guard at the end of your prison cell, say, well, he's the only one listening, so I'm going to preach to him, right, I'm going to shine for him, this idea is what Paul really kind of focuses on in verse, the second, or the last part of verse 18 is where we're going to start, the last part of verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Well, I'm going to pause there. When you first read that, you're thinking, what's happened to me is I'm in prison, and it's going to turn out for my deliverance. So I'm going to pray, the people are going to pray, and I'm in prison, and then I'm going to be delivered from prison. This seems to be make sense, right? This is kind of where my thought would go. But Paul goes on to explain what his deliverance means means this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I read that, and when I have an understanding of what he's going through, I'm like, hold the phone here. He's not talking about trying to get out of prison. When he's saying, I know that this is going to work for my deliverance, He's referring to this. I know that this is all going to work out so that I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be able to look back and I'm not going to be ashamed of anything that I did. I'm going to be able to look back and say I had courage. I had boldness. Even if I never got out of this prison cell, I'm going to be able to look back and say my deliverance was that I honored God in everything that I did. It's got nothing to do with getting out of prison, nothing to do with getting out of a certain circumstance. But may we be able to look back at any season and say, yes, I honored God in how I responded to that. I honored God. I had a strong faith. I had courage. I was not ashamed in how I handled anything. And then it culminates with this amazing line, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul is saying is, if I'm alive, it's about Jesus. If I'm alive, it's about Jesus. If I'm in a prison cell, it's about Jesus. If I'm uh, on a mountaintop in a valley in a storm, anonymous in how I'm serving or preaching to the masses, it's about Jesus. So he's saying, if I'm alive, it's for Jesus. To me, to live is Christ. So it's every day on this earth is fruitful labor for Christ. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's seeing Jesus change lives. Every day for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, which means... That's even better because then I'm with Jesus in heaven. So I, I can either be here on earth, fruitfully serving him, seeing God bring good out of any circumstance, seeing lives changed, awesome. And if I die, better, right? That's a perspective to have. That's a perspective to have. Every day to live as Christ. This outlook that Paul has really is like a little joy factory in our life. Right? It's just a little factory of joy. It's just a little thing that just produces joy because no matter what you go through, you can say, well, I can still just decide to live for Christ, whatever the circumstance is, and I can see God bring good. And even if the, if the worst happens and I die or I get persecuted and killed for my faith, whatever the worst possible thing is, well, I end up in heaven with Jesus anyways. So either way, it's a win-win. This is what Paul is saying. With this perspective to live for Jesus... To see your life shine for him, it's a win-win. 
Because you're going to look back at any season and say, but God was good and faithful. I can trust him. He brought me through that. He was with me. He caused my life to shine there. And eventually when we end up in heaven, it's like, this is even better. It's a win-win. So I want us to have this bold faith and not be so swayed by our circumstances. If we, if we find ourselves in a culture that more and more pushes against the gospel or pushes against the word of God, we can say, that's fine. I'm still going to be bold in my faith. I still want to behave in a way that I'm not ashamed of anything that I've done. I'm still going to preach with boldness and conviction. You can take away our church tax-exempt status someday all you want. I'm still going to lead the way with generous giving and stewardship and support those. And that's not going to matter because I know God's going to provide for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You can take away all the comforts and freedoms you want. And I'm still going to live in a way that seeks to honor God. I'm still going to shine for him. My joy will come from that. It's like a defiant joy that no matter what the culture or the world throws at us, we say, I have joy. To live as Christ and to die as gain. You can throw me in a prison cell and I'm still going to love God. And I'll preach to whoever's there, even if it's that one unfortunate guard that has to sit outside the prison cell all day. Trusting that God is going to bring good out of that. And my focus will be that I would just honor him and how I handle that. And ultimately, you can take my life and I will gladly lay it down. Counting it a joy to share in the sufferings of Christ. Because I'll be with him in heaven. This is the source of joy. It's about Jesus, the more you can anchor your life around this, I promise you, the more satisfied you're going to become. Because all the things that the world tells us to put our satisfaction in, and those things can be taken away on a moment's notice, right? Relationships, finances, power, leadership, whatever it is, all the things that we think this is going to satisfy me. Man, we have seen throughout history, those things can be taken away in the blink of an eye. But when I anchor my life around Jesus, that I would honor you. Now, whatever I go through, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to see the cause of Christ advance because of your faithful love in my life. Man, that's just, that's a satisfying way to live. It's defiant joy. It's just peace in the midst of a circumstance that everyone else would look at and say, how can you be so peaceful? How can you be so joyful in this season? Because we're living for something different than everyone else is. And it can't be taken away. And it has nothing to do with the seasons or the circumstances so here's what I want us to do today. We're going to wrap up with a time of communion. And uh, in a moment, we'll give you an opportunity. You should have gotten a little communion cup thing when we came in. And um, Pastor Stephen's going to come up and lead us in this communion time. I'm just going to pray. We're going to wrap up this message time. And then Stephen's going to lead us in communion. Because at the heart of this message is that theme I mentioned. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And we recognize it's all made possible because he died and rose again. If you need a communion little cup thing, can you just put your hand up? Keep it up, and then uh, Usher will give you, we've got a few we'll hand around. But Pastor Stephen's going to come up after I pray, and he's going to lead us in this time. But let's just kind of refocus our hearts. It's about Jesus. Circumstances that I'm in, the calling on my life, the influence I have, may Jesus be lifted up. Lord, we thank you for this time. And as we take a time of communion, I pray that you would just reaffirm in our hearts the foundation of our faith is you. It's not anything we do for you. It's not any circumstance that surrounds us. It's your love for us, our love for you. We want to be anchored in our love for you, this relationship we have with you, made possible by you dying on the cross and rising again. So anchor that in our hearts today. We want to, as Paul was saying, live every day in a way that would honor you. In no way may it bring dishonor to you so that you could use us to bring about the advancement of your kingdom around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Awesome. Yeah, so if everyone has their communion cups, I uh, just want to kind of explain that for you here. We got our juice on the bottom, little cracker on top. Uh, so if you want to just peel back that first little tab first, you can just hold the, the bread in your hands. Uh, I never want to assume that everyone understands what communion is or why we why we do it. So I just wanted to explain that. See, the reason that we come together and celebrate communion is because we have this huge, awesome, amazing God who is also a God who is right here and who saw us as a people and who saw us as individuals and he saw that we were broken. He saw that we were full of sin, that we were far from him and that we needed a savior. And so he sent his son to die on a cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be saved. And so we come together as the body of Christ and we come to the communion table. And I love communion for two reasons. One, because it's such a personal thing. When you think about your past or the things that you've done or the things that you've been through or the seasons where you've walked away from God and the fact that he looked at you and said, I'm still gonna go to the cross for you. I love that. But then also the fact that all Christians everywhere around the world, doesn't matter what nation you're from, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter what experiences you, you have had, we all come together at the communion table and this is what unites us. All of our other differences, doesn't matter. We are united because Christ shed his, shed his blood on our behalf. I love that. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we should approach the communion table in a certain way. He says that we should come humbly to the communion table, that our hearts should be in the right place, that we should have the right mindset when we come so that we can remember what Christ did. In the book of Matthew, verse 26, uh, it's the Last Supper, and Jesus says this, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take the bread together. And then in verse 27, it says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. And so as we take that bread, and as we take that juice, we get that reminder of his body that was broken on our behalf, of his blood that was shed for us. And whenever I take communion, I always want to take a minute after just to realize the magnitude of that. Because man, if, if I even look at my week this week and the way that I have lived, I've fallen short in quite a few ways. And yet here we are, Christ inviting us to this table. It's amazing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with you and one day we can live in eternity with you. God, I pray that we would always understand what this means. 
coming together at the communion table to remember your sacrifice. God, we love you and we praise you. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we just sing together one more time? today. Our prayer is that you would know how much our God loves you and the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. We also pray that you would understand that everything that we do here is because it's all about Jesus, that he is our focus, that he is what moves the gospel forward. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here today. If anyone needs prayer today, uh, we'll have some prayer teams up here. Otherwise, uh, again, thank you for being here and we will see you next week.